All right, good morning. Welcome to Beach Point. My name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the senior pastor of Beach Point. And uh, not only are we in a new chapter of the story that we're going to talk about today, but this is a new chapter for Beach Point. And uh, today, Beach Point Huntington Beach right now is starting their new chapter at Springview Middle School. And so God has answered our prayer after three weeks of kind of following the cloud. We've landed. And so for the next chapter, so uh, we're going to be there. So can I invite you to do this? I'd love to be able to tell all of them that we were praying for them, but uh, let's do it a little differently. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Would you just pray a prayer of blessing on them for this next season of ministry uh, where God's got them and the neighbors they're trying to bless around there? So let's bow together. Just take 30 seconds. Just pray a prayer of blessing silently for them. Lord, we are so thankful you have provided, and uh, there was never any doubt, but we just want to say thank you, and we do pray for this next season of ministry, and specifically for the unique uh, place and the neighborhood, and uh, already the relationship that you've started to build with some of the, the local neighbors there. We pray for a great season of you doing what you have set out to do, which is to reach that city uh, for your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, if you are moving, uh, uh, most of us like these kind of medium-sized boxes. They're, they're, they're manageable. They're containable. You can put a lot of stuff in there. But the nice thing about this is you kind of get your arms around it, and you can manage what you put inside of it. Uh, the struggle for many of us, though, is this becomes this tremendous symbol of what our spiritual lives look like. We have taken God and put him in a medium-sized box that is nice and manageable. The problem is once you put God in a manageable size box, what you have for yourself is a God that is far too small for your life. You will struggle with anxiety and stress because a manageable God that can fit inside a medium sized box is not big enough to handle your problems. So you will fight and try to solve problems in your own strength and you will find many times that you do not have the power and you do not have the strength to solve your own problems. You will find that your life is boring. Uh, Because a God that you have uh, placed inside a medium-sized box that is nice and manageable the way you like it, uh, he he can't help you think beyond yourself. He can't take you to things and do things with your life that are beyond what you could do. Uh, uh, just in your own strength that, that you could do with his strength. He's not powerful enough. He's not strong enough for, for you in this way. And so what we find is when we try to make God containable and manageable, we have put ourselves in a very difficult place. It's not the kind of life that God wants us to have. And when we're in this place, uh, we, we have to, in a day like today, we're trying to ask God, God, expand our vision. As so we sang in that first song, show us who you are. We want to worship you for who you are. And A.W. Tozer uh, wrote this a, a number of years ago. He wrote this. He said, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on her concept of God. He says, and I insist upon this, and I've said many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy conception of God. That our basic problem is we just think God is too small. We make him too manageable, too controllable. And then when you do that, he's far too small, far too weak, far too limited. Certainly, to use someone like us, 
for, for the kinds of things that he wants to do in the world. But you know, if you've been at Beach Point in any length of time over the last, I don't know, I'd say the last couple of years, there's a passage of scripture we keep coming back to again and again because we keep seeing God do this again and again. And it's found in Ephesians 3, and you don't have to turn there, just, it's, it'll be up here on the screen. But this, uh, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, is a marvelous uh, chance for us to think about who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. And Paul ends this great chapter of chapter 3 saying this, To him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And that word immeasurably is two words, exceedingly, abundantly. He couldn't pick one, so he picked them both. And we have translated it. We didn't know how to translate it in English, so we said immeasurably. So exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than anything we could ask for, anything we could imagine. That's who he is. There's no way. Paul says, look, you can't put him in any kind of box because of what he's capable of. But notice what he says. According to his power that is at work within us. Within us. See, this power, this God, and this, this ability that he has, it's not something that we sit on the sidelines and watch. It's something that he wants to release in us and through us. And this is what we're going to see as we look at uh, chapter 11 in the story today. And so we're going to, what I want us to get into place is we're going to, we're trying to get to a place in, in these next minutes to kind of, to, to get to Monday morning and be the kind of people who would pray something like this. God, you want to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And you want to do it through your power at work in us. So how can I join you today? We want to be kind of people who believe, Ephesians 3, that he has immeasurable power and that power is at work in us. And so we want to learn to ask the question each day at the start of our day. So God, how do you want to use me? How do you want me to be a part of this? And if we become these kinds of people, we'll see as chapter 11 shows, this is really what chapter 11 is all about. So we are in a book called The Story or a series called The Story. We're using this resource called The Story. It's a chronological uh, adaptation of the Bible. It's not the Bible, but it is an abridged version of the Bible. And so by reading through this, it's written in novel form. It kind of gives you the, uh, it gives you 31 chapters, 31 lower stories as we talk about. So each week we're looking at one of the stories and it it connects all the dots so that we can, by the end, we're going to be able to see how the the whole big God story comes together. And as we're seeing this, the challenge is every week, uh, read the chapter, listen, talk about it in your life groups. But as you're doing this, my, our hope is not just that you're getting more information, but our hope is that there's transformation, that you are looking at this through the lens of, of okay, God, how does my story fit into your story? And I hope you're seeing along the ways that even though we're about, I don't know, 3,000 years away from uh, today, that we're going to see that these principles and these ways that God's at work, these are still true for us today. And so this is what we're, we're doing. This is our, our challenge here. And so from week to week, what we've been seeing is this God, that God from the very beginning, that God wants to be in a relationship with us. And we're in this kind of second mini-series where he's created a nation and a people, the people of God. And, uh, uh, and through them, uh, he can be, they, these people can be a blessing to the world. The problem is what we've been seeing is that God's people, they keep rejecting him. And in different ways they've rejected him. And last week we saw the way that they rejected him as king. 
They asked for their own king, and that was a terrible decision because not only did they reject him as king, they rejected his vision for their lives. But God gracefully has come alongside them and said, look, if you, even though you've rejected me, if you and your king, I'll give you a king if that's what you want, but you'll find you're going you're gonna to regret this decision. But if you and your king will obey me, you'll stay with me, then I can bless you. And unfortunately, as we saw last week, the choice of king, God sets apart a king, and this king can't keep his heart fully devoted to God. He has a divided heart, and he's okay with just partial obedience, and as a result, uh, God has to reject him as king, and now we have to find a new king. And it's interesting, as we're going to see in this next chapter, that God is about to choose a new king, and he chooses someone that nobody would have picked And this is the way our world works. Our world works by judging externally. We look on the outside, but as we're going to see, God looks at the heart. God is looking for something else. And this is why our big idea is is so important today. And it's, it's, I think, a a great way for us to see our story and God's story coming together. So here's our big idea. It's kind of a, a golden thread throughout our chapter today. But God loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. God loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. I had, I had to kind of laugh when we wrote this down because I thought, boy, we could have used this big idea probably five, six, seven times already in 11 chapters. We could have used it with Abraham and Sarah or with Joseph or with Moses or with Rahab or you just name. Every week it seems that this, this idea is true. And I hope there's something resonating in your heart that God takes ordinary folks like me and ordinary folks like you and he desires to do extraordinary things. This is what we we know to be true. And so this is what we're going to see as God is is working in our lives. Again, Ephesians 2 verse 10, just to give you a sense of hope in this, uh, that we read this as we kind of dive further along in the big God story, that uh, we, we read this, that for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do good works, uh, things, good things that he's planned for us long ago. So God's made you to do these great things. He's got things in design, things in his heart that he wants to use you for. You are his masterpiece, his work of art. And so it's a matter of us learning to say yes and, and following him into those things. So let's turn to chapter 11 in the story, page 145. Or you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Bibles are right in front of you on page 283. Either one that you want to follow along in, and we'll try to keep going. We're, so we'll move kind of quickly. We'll finish up 1 Samuel today. So the, the idea is, Read this ahead or read it after, whichever works best for you, and talk about it in a, in a life group. Uh, but as, we're going to try to get kind of a big picture uh, through this part of the story. And this story begins, this chapter begins in kind of a downer, what we, where we left last week, which is the king has been rejected. Saul, the king, has been rejected. And it is noticeable in Samuel, who is the spiritual leader. He is the prophet of the nation at this time. And so we read right at the top of page 145 in 1 Samuel Uh, Chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, if you're Samuel, 
this is kind of a, a scary moment because if you fill your horn of oil up and you start going around looking for the next king to anoint and Saul gets wind of it because he's the current king, this could be very dangerous for you. And so he's concerned about this, but God says, look, you're going to go, you're going to offer a sacrifice. And so he's going to move kind of under the cover of that. And he's told to, to travel to Bethlehem to the family of Jesse. Now, again, this is kind of fun because we're starting to see this big God story come together because Jesse is the grandson of uh, Ruth and Boaz, who we learned about two weeks ago. And uh, their great-grandson is going to be anointed the next king over God's people. And so in doing this, we see the very first thing that I want you to, there's two things I want you to see today about our big idea. And the first thing is this, it's not about your appearance, it's about your heart. It's not about your appearance, it's about your heart. And so Samuel shows up, and I want you to notice that Samuel, even Samuel has a box for God. Even Samuel has God kind of contained and kind of, and thinks he has God figure out, because notice what happens. It says on page 145 of the story, verse 6, that when he arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's, Lord's anointed stands, before, uh, stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, before you and I get judgmental about Samuel, isn't that true? Uh, God's got us pegged as well. We look this way. We look on the outside appearance. We care more about the outside appearance many times. And so uh, Samuel's like the college recruiter showing up on the campus and he's looking for the biggest, the strongest, the fastest athlete. Or the, he shows up in, in the academy and he's looking for the, the most beautiful, the most graceful, the most talented performer. And God's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You're looking at the wrong things. That's not how, what I'm looking for in my, my next person. And so we find ourselves already one page in asking questions. Am I more concerned about appearance or, or heart? Am I concerned about appearance or character? Do I spend more time and energy and money on appearance or on character, on heart? What do I want for my kids? Appearance, performance, or heart? The Stafiri motto for this year is uh, kind of an ancient saying, tend to the roots, the fruit will take care of itself. And I told it to my wife, she goes, that's dumb. And uh, I go, no, 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 think about it. It's not dumb. And so we spent some time talking and she, she came around. But it was like, but think about it, we've got one year with our son and, uh, before he leaves for college. So what are we going to work on, the fruit or the roots? Let's work on the roots. Let's focus on his heart. Let's, let's develop that. We've got a, a, a little baby girl who's now 10 and not a baby girl anymore. Let's focus on the roots. Let's develop the heart. And the fruit will take care of itself. And many of us are, are we're, we're like Samuel. We're looking at the, at the fruit. We're trying to shine the fruit up instead of tending to the roots. God looks at the heart. He's not concerned with appearance. And so we might manipulate, cheat, steal, do all these things so that the appearance looks better. But God looks right through it, right past it, and says, what I'm concerned about is the heart. Now, it's fascinating. So, he's, so Samuel looks. He sees all, the sons are all lined up. He sees the first son, the biggest, strongest. 
thinking there's the guy, the next king. And nope, goes down the line. And God says, this, he's not here. So no, Samuel says this, page 146. So we asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse answered, there is still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. So here's the prophet sent by God to the house of Jesse to find the new king. He lines up seven of his sons, but he leaves out the eighth, the youngest. Why? Because literally, his, what, what, the way you would translate this, he said, his, by his own definition of his son, is we still have the runt of the litter. He's out tending the sheep. He is so much the runt of the litter, as it says, that he didn't even bring him out for this moment. You watch the sheep while God figures out which of your brothers he's going to take to be the next leader. And God says, go get him. We'll wait. And when he comes, that's the one. That's the one. 1 Samuel 16, verse 12. Then the Lord said, rise, anoint him. This is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. God's blessing, his presence, his spirit now comes powerfully upon David that day. He's chosen to be the next king. But he's not the current king. Uh, and so we're going to wait and see how long it's going to take for God to do this. Now, the next part of the story we begin to see is probably the most famous, maybe the most famous story of the Bible other than Jesus, is the story of David and Goliath. So remember how the story goes. There is this uh, great fight that's going to happen between the Israelites and the Philistines. And they are standing across each other from this valley. One army on one side, one army on the other. And they decide that instead of having everyone run into the valley in this giant you know, kind of massacre taking place, they will choose a champion. And one champion from each side will come and represent them and fight for them. And so Goliath comes down from the Philistines. And this guy is a, I mean, this is your warrior's warrior. So much so that, that uh, the Israelites are, are trembling with fear. And Goliath, he steps out and he is like no other. And he begins to shout out at Israel. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you're not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So for 40 days they line up. And for 40 days Goliath walks out and he mocks them. And he defies not just them, but he defies their army and their God. And fear has overwhelmed the camp. Because no champion will, will step out and fight. Now, think about it. Israel has a champion, right? Who's the champion? Who should be fighting this fight? Saul, right? Saul's supposed to be the one. And it said, Saul's in the back going, whoever goes out there and defeats this giant, I will, I, you can have my daughter. You don't have to pay taxes. I mean, he's, again, he's cowering in the back. And so 40 days goes by and Jesse sends David to go tend to his brothers, gives him supplies. And as he goes out there, you got to imagine for David, he's expecting to find kind of all kinds of chaos there. 
40 days of fighting each other, will his brothers even be alive? And he arrives there and he sees this scene. He's like thinking, what's going on? What's happening here? And he starts asking all these questions. And he sees Goliath down there and he hears him saying, he's asking, you know, who is this? What's happening? Chapter 17, verse 20, page 148 says this. David responds. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so unlike anyone else there, David hears what's going on and David is stirred. There's something in him that says, who is this guy and who does he think threatening us and threatening our God? And he starts talking about this. And people are telling him, hey, you know, someone goes and fights him. You know what you get. They're telling him about the whole bounty you get. And his brothers get wind of this and they start, notice how they, att- they attacked his heart. They, they said, you have such a conceited heart. That's not what God sees at all. And so David says this. He says, goes to Saul. Word gets to Saul. Saul sends for him. And David says this, says to Saul, verse 32, he says, David said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And this is this great moment where we start to see, in essence, the the heart of David and who he is. Now this, there's something bigger happening here. This is not just like he didn't just drink a can of Red Bull and he's all fired up. This isn't like his Rudy moment. Like I'm just, get me in for one play, coach, and I'll do it. Like, he, there's something deeper that's happening here, as we will see. And Saul tries to set him up in his armor, but remember, he's the runt. I mean, this is like short guy passage. Like, this is the, this is the passage of Scripture. You're like, yeah, short guys, right? I never thought of this. David's a small guy. He's the runt of the litter. The armor doesn't fit him. But we see height doesn't measure heart. And, and God has got him set apart. And so he goes down in. And he enters into this valley. He doesn't wear any of the armor. All he has with him, he has a staff. He has a sling. He has stones. And imagine what happens. So he walks in, and now Goliath adds to it. Goliath is utterly disrespected by this. He's insulted, and he begins to cuss him out and say all this stuff about him. And at this moment, we, we see something about David. Samuel the prophet didn't pick him. His own dad didn't pick him. His own brothers didn't respect him. Even his enemy, Goliath, is mocking him. Nobody picked David. No one thought he could do anything extraordinary. And in this moment, we see, we know that something special is about to happen. Now, I would tell you, this is, this is such a great moment for us as a church. Because when you think about this last season of Beach Point, it has been filled with moments like this. Our church is filled with people who did not, who saw themselves as very ordinary people. And God has been doing extraordinary things through them. We have uh, tons of people who never were even in a life group, let alone lead a life group, who felt very unqualified. I didn't go to seminary. What if they ask a question I can't answer? They will. What if there's a problem in our group I can't handle? There will be. But what they've said is, okay, with God's strength, I can do this. You know, we have 70 leaders leading groups over our two campuses uh, with college through adults. Think about our kids and our our youth. uh, And think about all the people that are mentoring our kids and our youth. A lot of them used to be the kids and youth of our youth group. A lot of them were little Johnny. Oh, little Johnny. 
Not much future for little Johnny. I just hope he doesn't wind up in prison. Little Gustavo. I just hope, <laughs> hope nothing happens to him. But then you, you start to see that these, but many of you, many of you mentored these kids and taught them. You were, you were, kid, you were Sunday school teachers or children's teachers or, or leaders. You were small group leaders in middle school or high school. And these students, these kids grew up under your care. And now they are leading students and kids as adults. And it's fascinating to see there's uh, over a hundred different people in our kids and our youth that are now serving as mentors. I think about our, our Celebrate Recovery leaders, our Stephen ministry leaders. How many of them are coming from broken lives, broken situations where they would just simply say, I am unqualified, I am disqualified for any kind of meaningful service for God. And who have instead experienced the promise of 2 Corinthians 1, which is God is a God of compassion and comfort, and he will come if you will let him, and he will comfort you so that you can comfort others. And now over 50 different people who are serving in, one, in some kind of capacity in leadership in one of those ministries over our two campuses. And it's just fascinating to me. And this is one of those moments. All these folks, no one would pick. We all get it. We all feel like David. And, and when we have the giants cussing us out, saying, you don't belong in this valley with me, we go, I know. I don't feel like I should. But God says, whoa, 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 whoa. He doesn't get to call the shots. He doesn't get to tell you who you are and what you can do with your life. That's my call. And God has set David apart for this moment. And we we know something about this and we'll see something about this. See, here's the second point that I want you to write down is this. That it's not about what you have, it's about who has you. It's not about what you have, it's about who has you. So what did David have? He had a sling, he had stones, he had a stick. That's not how David saw this battle. David never thought that his advantage was, I have a sling and rocks, and that's way better in a fight like this. He never thought, I have a stick, and that's way better against it. He was never, the, the strategy wasn't that. David has a different mentality. You see it on page 149. He says this, the Lord, he says this, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David was a shepherd, remember? And so when a lion or a bear would come and threaten a sheep, he would fight those animals with his bare hands. And and he would win. But notice what David said. He never looked at it as, I've just learned to wrestle bears. Like I watched this YouTube video. I'm just great at bear wrestling. Like he never felt it was through his ability. David felt like he he was delivered to fight the bear, to fight the lion, because the Lord was with him. It wasn't about what he had. David believed someone had him. He believed the Lord had him. See, every, every act of courage is rooted in something. Some, you find your, your courage is always rooted in something. Why do you step out? The courage is always fueled by something. Protecting loved ones or, or self. It's fighting for something bigger than ourselves, like our country. David's courage is fueled by the promise of God. He believes that he is God's and God is on his side. And so David goes into that valley with this great sense of courage because the battle is not between me and you. The battle is between you and him. 
And he knows I am simply God, who God is going to use to fight this battle. Listen to David's words. He says to the Philistine in chapter 17, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. That's what you have. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, not me, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. You're looking up at someone, this giant, someone who can crush you with his bare hands. He could crush your skull. And in his hands are javelins and spears and shields. Like this is a super intimidating moment. But David, David doesn't see it that way at all. David says, no, here today you will fight the God who is with me. See, David is the only one who really understands the story. Like you hear this story all the time. This is the, bit, the, the, the great metaphor of the underdog, right? And the underdog is David. There's only one person on the earth who ever originally believed that David wasn't the underdog. It was David. He never thought of himself as the underdog. It wasn't just he was rallying himself up. He knew who the underdog was. It was the giant. Why do we say yes to God when he calls us to extraordinary things? Because David knows something. That if God is with us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Courage is not found in what we have. It's found in who has us. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. As we walk into this moment of the story, what gives you courage to say yes to God? What's giving you courage to say yes to God? Is it a good bank account? Are you saying, well, we could step out in faith because at least if we fail, at least we have enough savings that we can make it. Or maybe it's your experiences or talents or, you know, you have enough schooling or whatever it is. I mean, I, I, what is it that's giving you courage? Is it, the, is it the stuff you have? Or is it who has you? And David knew he did not walk in that valley alone. And David took advantage of that moment. He slung that stone. He dropped that giant. He took off his head. And in these moments of great courage, when we respond to God in great courage like this, God is able to do extraordinary things. And he does not only something in us, but he rallies the people uh, around us. These become catalytic moments. Notice what happens. It says that when the Philistines saw that, the, saw that their uh, hero was dead, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath. And it says the dead were strewn all over the road. The Israelites returned, chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. I mean, just on and on, you see all this courage that just kind of spreads throughout the camp because one person had the courage to say, God is with us, let's go. And there's a great victory, but the victory is not Saul's. It's David's. And in this next season, what we see is that this, is, this becomes a very difficult uh, time for, for Saul because David continues to be, the, the, the blessing of God is on him. In fact, uh, page 151 of the story, we see that, that in everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And so he's fighting for Saul's army. Everything he does has success and this drives Saul crazy. And so now Saul uh, begins to hunt David. 
and threatens David. And David has to go hide. And as we've seen in many of the chapters before, God's promise on David and God's answer to David will take a considerable amount of time. David will spend the next 14 years hiding. He'll be out out in the country, out in the, in the uh, mountains. He'll be hiding for the next 14 years. And God will be developing a sense of dependence upon him. And this, this kind of uh, strong uh, place where his heart is at, at 16, God will continue to develop until he is 30. And it doesn't come until this moment in which uh, Saul dies in battle. And he's 30 years old. And it says that David was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned 40 years. It took 14 years for all this to happen. And, and there's this fascinating thing that's happening in this whole time. And, and uh, one of the neat things about what the story is doing is it's helping you see the unique way the Bible is put together. So uh, when we read the Psalms, so the book of Psalms is poetic. And we, uh, it'd be easy to think, oh, you know, these guys just sat in their you know, ancient coffee houses just writing their kind of inspirational moments. No, these are, these are Psalms that David's writing when he's in hiding. So when he's saying, God, you're my rock and my refuge, that's because he's hiding in a rock. And he's seeing something about this and saying, it's not the rock I trust, God, I trust you. And so there's this powerful thing. Psalm 59, verse 17, is in the story on page 152. And he says this, you are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. This is him in hiding. This is him uh, being th- is having his life threatened, he's, and he's learning, I know I can rely on you. And so God is building up his next king. And next week we'll see a little bit more about his life as king. And so God takes a shepherd boy that no one picked, the prophet, the dad, the brothers, the giant. Nobody picked him, an ordinary rent, and chose to do extraordinary things. Why? Because he was a man after his own heart. And chapter 11 is so great for us because what we see is that God loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. So what about us? There's a lot of us. We're, we're just your ordinary beach folk. But God wants to do ordinary th- or extraordinary things through us. So, so How? How will he do that kind of stuff? I want to encourage you, as you came in the door, I think you got one of these, uh, which is a list, uh, uh, what we call 8 to 15. And I want to, I want to take kind of a, a big concept and just root it down into your real life right now. And so 8 to 15 is a term we use here at Beach Point that refers to your relational world. It refers to the people that you just do life with on a regular basis. So they're your neighbors and your coworkers. They're people in your family. Uh, there might be people that you uh, share a soccer team with. Uh, they could be uh, uh, families that your kids go to school with. But what we ask you to do is to ask God, how have you strategically and supernaturally placed people in my life that you want to bless through me? So if we go all the way back into chapter 2, we see that God's people are to be blessed to be a blessing. So we start asking God, God, how do you want to use me to be a blessing in the lives of other people? And so uh, this, this is a great tool. And what we do is we begin to practice, as we begin to practice, God, these are the people you placed in my life at this time. And we begin to kind of prayerfully think about it in this way. God begins to reveal who these people are and open up doors. And if you'll learn to pray each day, God, you're sending me back into the world to be a blessing to these people. 
however you want to send me, I will go. Now, my favorite story in this last year of this happening is a a high school girl named Kara. And Kara became a Christian a year ago. And Kara, within the first year, realized this, that as she became a Christian, uh, Kara's the blonde, and Kara thought this, God, you changed my life this last year. So who, which of my friends do you want to do the same kind of thing in? And she basically made herself available to say, God, who do you want me to bless? And so the girl in the middle with the hat, rip curl hat, is Sam. And Sam, she invited to camp. Sam gave her life to the Lord. Sam just got baptized at the beach. And Sam's just growing. And what I love about Kara is this. Kara never said, I want to be a blessing to the world. But first, I need to take all your classes on how to bless people. I need to learn how to uh, say, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, evangelism and mission in Greek and in Hebrew. I need to be able to memorize all the verses that like talk about us going out and sharing our faith with others. I need to, she didn't say any of that stuff. She didn't say, I didn't read enough books yet about how to change the world yet. She just said, God, you changed my life. Whose life do you want to change? I'm here, I'm ready. And within one year, God had already put someone on her heart and God began to work through this. And it's just such a great story for us. And as Kara began to do this, I, this is what I want to encourage us to do. So I want to take, take this great chapter and push it down to our real lives. Are you willing to let God do extraordinary things through you with your 8 to 15? If you think of the 700 plus people that are going to get a card like this today, that gives us somewhere between 700 and 11,000 people that we will have some sphere of influence on. And I'm asking you to get rid of your medium-sized containable box where you can put God in and say, God, here I am, I'm available. And I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you not only to prayerfully, thoughtfully put together this list, but I want you to be willing to say this. Now, so before you say yes to this, Here's what you'll do. To say yes to this, you'll prayerfully, thoughtfully put this list together. But here's the second thing. You will decide, I will, not I hope to, I will bless one person this week. I will bless one person this week. uh, On this list this week. Not I hope to, not I dream to, I will. And the reason why I say this is I know, I'm, I'm absolutely confident, money back guarantee, that if you will pray this, God will answer this prayer. He will put you in the path of someone on this list in which you can uh, listen to, pray for, share with, whatever. But I, I, I want to challenge us. I, I really don't want us to be a church in which the only stories we hear are of 17-year-old high school kids. Like our, our youth they, they lead the way in this. And us as adults, the older we get, the less we do this. And so it's really important that we begin to see this, that how important it is that God has strategically, supernaturally placed people in our lives and that we're willing to say, Lord, however you want to use me, I want to be available. And so let's pray for that very thing. So let me invite you to bow and start giving your heart to the Lord for this very thing. Lord, show me who should be on my list. Who do you want to work in? Who's, whose lives? And then commit to him. I want to be someone that you can use. I want you to do extraordinary things through someone like me.